morning, everybody, and welcome to the Friday edition of the Mary Griffith Show. I'm Scott Hardy, in for Mary on this Friday. Coming up a little bit later on, we will be uh, having a pre-recorded segment about surviving uh, sexual assault, so be sure to listen in for that one. But uh, my guest in studio now from the Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County, filling in for Rob Miller, who's a little busy at the moment. <laughs> we say good morning to Lynn Snyder. Good morning, Lynn. Morning. Glad to have you here. And Thank you. uh, you've got a couple of things going on that um, one directly involves students, but another yes. one probably should. And I wanted to go ahead and touch on that one first. It is uh, the Hannibal and Quincy African-American History Connections, uh, talking about a shared history of the two communities, and that is going on yes. this month. Yes, that's our, that's our February program um, in Black History Month. Very good, and that will be presented by Faye Dant, who is the director of Jim's Journey, the Black History Museum in Hannibal as well. Yes. She's got a lot of knowledge, doesn't she? She does, she does, and she has done a wonderful job. I think they've had that museum in operation for about 10 years now, and it's a real asset to the community, and she is a delight to talk to. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we should have more of, really, a shared connection and a shared history between the two communities. And do you know a little bit about what she's going to be talking about? Well, I sort of do, and I'm leaving it up to her. We've talked; she okay. and I have talked about it. Um, I, the idea for her talk is definitely hers, but I was also interested because as we look at Underground Railroad here in Illinois, and particularly here in Quincy, which is was so powerful, um, I find. Um, histories from Marion County and Rawls County and um, Cross River Connections that for people who passed through Quincy. But what was happening in Hannibal at the same time, a lot of the, a lot of the enslaved people who were coming through were rural and they were working on farms. Um, I'm not sure what happened to those people who were actually in the city of Hannibal. And I'm not sure about the attitudes that the people, the communities in Hannibal, black or white, had. Well, I do know some of it. It was, we were rabble rousers. The abolitionists were definitely considered fringe. Um, but I, that's one of the things that, um, I think Faye will address is right across the, well, nearly right across the river and very different and very many shared attitudes during that period and going forward, too. Yeah. Of course, the most famous example of that, of uh, uh, the Underground Railroad and coming from one community to the other, is Father Augustine Tolton. He is one. Yeah. His mm-hmm. is the most, uh, if you were to ask anybody about that, his is the first one that most people would think of because we, by now you know the story, you know, crossing, you know, over and coming during a, uh, uh, I believe it would have been when the moon was up so they could see where they were going. Well, the stories are um, interesting in that um, his, the, fa- the parents of the Tolton family were um, owned by different owners, I believe, in uh, Missouri, and the father decided to go to um, the army. He he wanted to join the Union Army, so he was the first to leave, and then uh, Mrs. Tolton 
decided that without the protection of her husband and with the looming um, conflict, she was going to move her children out of Missouri. And she came across the river um, down opposite Hannibal, I think, and got some help, according to at least one story from some Union soldiers who were there in Hannibal. Um, She was picked up by some gentlemen from Quincy who heard about her being stranded down there, and they brought her into Quincy. So Tolton came as a young child. I think he was about 9 or 11 years old. And he and his mother and his younger brother all started to work in first a tobacco factory and then in one of the bottling factories. And uh, because they were all baptized Catholic, because the owner families were Catholic, they had um, an association with the Catholic churches here in town. And Tolton um, expressed a real interest in the Catholic faith and particularly now we're very conscious of him because he's on his way probably to sainthood exactly exactly right and uh yeah it just makes you wonder it's like one of the bottling factories i don't know if it would have been you know down here the uh the dick brothers brewery facility if that was around then i'm trying to remember no i think it was the flins okay and um another earlier bottling factory and actually i think they got their jobs and then with the um Harris Tobacco Company also as Stimmers, and I think some of those those opportunities came through the association of all those families had with the Catholic Churches, St. Boniface, St. Peter's, here in Quincy. Okay. Yes. Yes, indeed. And I, you know, it was very understandable their reticence to stay in Missouri because really nobody knew their status. They didn't know which side of the coming conflict they were going to be on. Well. What's really interesting to me is that um, Missouri came into the Union as a slave state, the Missouri Compromise. Missouri came in slave, Maine came in as a free state. And so even during the Civil War, Missouri stayed, most of Missouri stayed loyal to the Union, but they were allowed to keep their slaves since they had entered as a slave state. So here we have a, a state, a Union state that um, has enslaved people. And then you go just south of Missouri, of course, and, and you're into the, the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. So those people, those enslaved people and the owners, really, who lived there, um, particularly after the um, Emancipation Proclamation was declared in 1863, that freed the slaves or said that the s- slaves were free in the Confederacy. It did not affect the slaves in Missouri and in Kentucky. So here are people who are looking across the river, and they may have relatives in the South who either are slave owners or are slaves and now are former slaves. So it was a very complex situation. Yeah, it's it certainly sounds like that. And you will find out more about that at the Hannibal and Quincy African American History Connection being presented by Faye Dant, uh, the director of Jim's Journey, the Black History Museum in Hannibal. Sunday, February 19th, 2 o'clock at the History Museum on the Square, right across the street from us here. It's absolutely free and open to the public, and you can call the Historical Society for details at 222-1835. Also wanted to get in, this is going to be, the month of February is going to be very busy for you folks at the uh, History Museum because 
you're inviting a lot of school kids to come yes. and take tours. Yes. <laughs> are, are you all right? Are you all right? I mean, this is... <laughs> are trying to get a lot of sleep and vitamins and <laughs> healthy food and... <laughs> I mean, you've got them all coming in uh, starting February 13th, uh, two two tours for all five uh, public schools in Quincy, also Peace and Seymour Elementary. And what is it? And then the parochial schools are coming also. Uh, yes, and then the parochial schools as well. In fact, they start, they'll be first on February 7th with St. Francis. What exactly is it that you are wanting these students to take away from their visit to the History Museum? Well, we have we have many more exhibits than... Uh, these are all middle school pe- uh, uh, youth, and um, we will have... There'll be three segments that they'll con- will concentrate on. One is the early history of Quincy, which is very interesting in itself. Um, the second is a gen- more general history of Illinois, and, and um, then the third is the Underground Railroad and the importance of the Underground Railroad here and across the river in, in uh, Missouri. Um, for some of the students, they will, be, they will have been studying the Civil War and probably the run-up to the Civil War. For other students, I'm not sure that they have yet um, really concentrated on that period of history. So um, I think they'll all take away... We. One of the strengths of a historical society and of our small museums, I believe, is that we tell personal stories. We tell stories of real people. So Father Tolton, the Tolton family, how did the Tolton family get here? Where did they come from? What happened to them afterwards? And then we also have stories of, uh, for example, the Spencer family. They all uh, started out in Missouri um, as um, enslaved people. They ended up in, in Quincy. They ended up in California. They ended up in Canada, pre, pre-Civil War. Um, and one of them, um, Matilda, a daughter, was freed while still living in Missouri and moved to Hannibal and was married from the home of um, a woman who was married to one of their former owners. So a very complex history. Very indeed. And the neat thing is... When they enter the History Museum right across the street here, um, you can point out the fact that one of the stops on the railroad is viewable from right in the front the door. The Eels House, exactly, yeah. exactly, yes. Yeah, that building is still standing, and it's right there, and it's living history right there for them. Yes. Very, very nice. Lynn Snyder has been our guest with the Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County, and if they want to find out more about this, they can stop by. Absolutely. And... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and they, they can also call. They can visit our website. And I do want to mention very um, quickly the sponsor for this particular program is the o- O'Donnell Cookson Li- Celebration of Life Home. We've had some wonderful sponsors, um, the Dempsey, um, Dempsey and Dempsey here in Quincy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very happy to partner with the with people in the community who are interested in history also. Yes, indeedy. I could talk with you a lot more about this, but unfortunately we're out of time. Uh, Lynn Snyder with the Historical Society of Quincy and Adams County, thank you so much for being here this morning thank on you the Mary Griffith Show. You bet. We're coming up on 930. We'll find out what's going on with the latest commodity prices from around the Midwest. That's on the way for you here on the Mary Griffith Show on WTAD. Hi, I'm Lucas Fragman with McGinnis Insurance. 
WTAD at 931. Let's check in now with the folks from the uh, Ursa Farmers Co-op for the latest commodity prices. In fact, our first look at commodity prices. We check in now and we say good morning with Peggy. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning, Steve. We've got lower grain this morning. Um, March corn is unchanged at 683. May is down a quarter at 679. And December of 23 is down a half at 589. Soybeans for March are 1518. That's down five and a half. May is at 1509, down five and a half. And November is at 1349, down three. Wheat for July is at 761, down a penny. Soybean meal for March is at 476.8, that's unchanged. Lean hogs for February are 76.8, down 0.22. Live cattle for February are 156.8, that's up 0.05. Feeder cattle for March are 183.57, up 0.72. Crude oil is up a dollar a barrel at 81.97. The Dow Jones is up 54 points at 34,077. And the dollar is up 0.14 at 101.78. Stay tuned the next hour for our next market update. Thank you so much for that update, uh, Peggy, from the Ursa Farmers Co-op. We're coming up on 933. Time now for a rebroadcast of a Mary Griffith Show segment featuring Quincy author Lee McKenzie. She's a mother of two, a successful businesswoman, a writer, as well as a wife for over 30 years to her husband, who is also a uh, who she met when they were both cadets at the United States Military Academy in West Point there in New York. And uh, uh, also, uh, Lee is a survivor of child molestation. So now, here is that segment on The Mary Griffith Show. Shatter the plastic princess. Embrace authentic faith. Okay. She seems so normal, and I'm sure everyone who is a casual friend of yours, as I am. We belong to a couple of clubs together. We see each other. Uh, I had a business relationship with your husband years ago. I mean, I think of you as just this loving, giving, caring person who adopted, you know, this daughter from Ethiopia and, you know, has been a parent, a wonderful, outstanding parent. Yet there is a part of you that is hidden, as many people who struggle with some demons they put up a beautiful facade, uh, the beautiful plastic blonde-haired princess, the perfect trophy wife, the perfect mother, you know. Yeah, you, the trophy wife. Um, the perfect, I'm, I'm perfect everything. Yeah, I think Mackenzie's going, yeah, you're right. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that. She seems so normal. What made you write this book? And in a synopsis of 30 seconds, what is this book about and who is it for? Back in 2019, I had a friend who said, I think you might need some trauma therapy. You are exhibiting obvious symptoms of sexual abuse. And I said, I've had a little bit of abuse, but it was just the babysitter's husband way back in second grade. And she's like, I think it might go deeper than that. And so I started therapy. I was writing for a magazine. My magazine publisher's wife said, you need to document and write it, write, write through this. And so I did. And that's where the book comes in. It's a reconciliation of the past memories I didn't know I had, but I had snapshots and pictures in my head that I could never reconcile. I didn't understand them. And with professional therapy, combining with my faith in Christ, where where do you sit with all of that? Like, how do you reconcile some pretty heinous, horrific very young child sex abuse 
with God's goodness, his greatness in the land of the living. Is God really that good? Is he really that great? And then what the heck is this all about? Why do I have all this stuff coming out sideways when I'm trying to make it look good? Why did, you let, why did you let that happen to me? Yeah. Why did you let it, it happen really to me? It can really be a very, um, we go through, especially people that really have been uh, taught, you know, indoctrinated in a Christian faith about mm-hmm. a loving God, a just God, and you will be punished if you do things wrong. But, you know, what? why would God let that happen to a second grader? You know, what? what is the, the whole three thing there, or a three-year-old? Yeah. So as you started uh, realizing that this was not something, oh, that happened a long time ago. That has no effect on my life today. Just get over it, right. Because you're already married. Oh, you're yeah. already a mother. You're already a successful businesswoman. And it takes probably someone who's been through it to kind of notice it in you. And I will admit, I don't want to go into my story today. It's not about my story, but I've had three incidents in my life before I was 18 where I had physical assault or sexual assault mm-hmm. by strangers. Uh, or so sorry. kind of strangers, you know, yeah. people that I felt comfortable enough to let into my world enough. Right. I wasn't just somebody right. driving by in a Acquaintances, car. Yeah. Acquaintances, yeah. Mm. And you think, well, that happened to me, and I'll get over that. And sometimes it, you're 35 years old, and you realize, wait a minute, Mm-mm. that wasn't right for that to happen to me. And I, mm. I because it was, I was at an event we were supposed to all be able to be honest with each other. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, have you ever suffered any sexual abuse? And I said, of course not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all went around the circle. And it got back to me again. And I said, excuse me, I want to apologize to my peer group here. I said, I don't know why, but that's something we would never say. Because you want people to judge you or you want right. or, or tell me about it or right. you don't want to think about it. No. I said, I've been... I." just gotten so used to saying, oh, no, nothing bad ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I'm um, supposed to be the happy person. Yeah, I'm, I'm the happy person. Joy. Everything's great, <laughs> right? Great. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was interesting because several of the women, it was all women in the group, and they nodded. They said, well, you know, we've done it, too. You know, we all were willing to share our story today, but we've been out, and people mm-hmm. said, well, is it, they've been talking about, did you hear what happened to Susie Q? Has oh. anything like that ever happened to yeah. you? Yeah. And you're like, no. Ooh, I have no idea what we're talking talk about. about that at lunch. Um, and, you know, I feel like as survivors, we spend our whole lives trying to forget what happened, only to remember it again, only to try to forget, and we try to keep forgetting. And so even when it comes up sometimes, it would come up with me and I'd be like, oh, no, I don't. Yeah, I'm good. No. And why didn't you say something? And why did you say something like there's all this? It feels like sometimes as a survivor, you can never get it right. You, you're always going to get judged. Somebody's always going to go, well, what did you do to deserve it? Yeah, I don't think I don't think I don't think I um yeah. did anything. Yeah. To I was in eighth grade. Yeah, I wasn't exactly putting it out. Yeah, you were yeah. you were a child, and so it's these, and then we start having this doubt in our brains with even particularly if they're in positions of authority around us that you're like, what what did I do to create this? There must have been something wrong. I I always thought there was something wrong with me. There I must be marked that because I had multiples. And what is it about me that makes me marked? I must be doing something wrong. There is something innately wrong with me because I'm actually, I think I'm a good girl, but apparently I'm not. And that's a hard thing to try to reconcile for a child. And you do your very best. You know, our brains come up with these incredible coping mechanisms of how we actually end up functioning and being normal. And in a sense, being able to be quote unquote normal Whatever the hell that is. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. 
But if you can function, and I like, I look at you, Mary, and I'm like, you're incredible. Like, look at what you do. Look at how many people you influence. Look at the lives that you change. Look at the people that you that you like. You bring me out of my shell. And I you haven't written a book, though. You're going to impact millions no, of you, people. But you've spoken to millions of people, and I sit there and go, I have survivor guilt that I ended up normal. I could I put it together and was normal. I should be dead by now. I should have been prostituted, killed by my pimp or my John, like all these things, all the, the typical. I should not have a beautiful marriage to an incredible man named Christopher. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have two beautiful children. I shouldn't have the life that I have. Why, what was it that separated me from the people who didn't make it? And so there's a lot of this. There's a lot of this reconciliation still obviously going on for me. The healing power of God, obviously, oh, is, is, yes, ma'am. is that is what it is. Um, let me ask you this, um, because I never had children. Of course, I didn't get over my problems so long. I didn't get married until I was 53. I mean, it was a long you're in your journey. Golden, yeah, you're in your golden I mean, age you know, you, you're God, I never now. have to worry about kids. But yeah. did you find yourself not wanting to leave your children with a babysitter? Oh. Did you find yourself not wanting to have anything? Like, I remember you had your kids visit here at the radio station. And, and <laughs> that was, stole stuff it was you. so much fun. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> never give a child something that that you want to keep. You want to keep. <laughs> um, but it was so funny because, you know, I didn't know any of that about you back then. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, is she always a little bit wary about like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I want her to, I, you know, I wouldn't leave her alone in the room with the, I, I, I wouldn't leave my kid alone here. I wouldn't, I'd be careful who I had babysit my kid. Mm-hmm. Was it extremely difficult for you to ever trust anybody? Because I think sometimes when we mm-hmm. see these hovering mothers, we forget that these hovering mothers may have some scars of their own that they're just not willing to risk yeah. normal, there's that word again, yeah. normal interaction of their children out in the world because they had a normal interaction and it turned out exceptionally bad. That's exactly it. You know, it's it's really interesting that you say that because I, I have recognized, and Julian and I have talked, and Bella and I have all talked, we've all talked to the whole, there's been a lot of talking, and I have had to own my part and really talk about like how I fear parented both my kids and how I have been controlling in a sense. I was I would have panic attacks if Julian would spend the night somewhere. And that is a that is that's a yeah, I, I think I fear parented and I fear parented because I kept thinking I need to save them from all possible bad things in this world. How can I mitigate? Because, of course, when you are a survivor, a trauma survivor, no matter where, whether it's military, whether it is sexual assault, violence, etc., you are constantly I am hyper vigilant. I am hypersensitive and I am always looking at ways to mitigate danger and to minimize danger and to protect and to guard. And that's yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Been, well, I need some therapy. Well, the thing that's weird about that is <laughs> I remember, you know, I, my first incident happened to me in eighth grade. Oh, okay. It was an adult. So sorry. My second incident was when I was a sophomore. It was peer on peer. It was mm-hmm. a, we were at a conference for English, you know, people that wanted to be writers. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there thinking, my parent, my dad would never let me go anywhere, do yes. anything. He was so protective. But this was a school event. So, you know. I have no idea what that says, but anyway, um, uh, it was a school event, so they let me go, and I mean, I was chaperoned by a nun. My, all my friends were there, right. and it still happened right. to me. And then in college, you know, they let me go away to college. Thank God, you know, and it Finally happened to me. Out, but, yeah. the, the Sunday before right. classes started, I was attacked and beaten by a crazy man, you know, in my dorm room. So no. I look back on no. this, and I think, 
you know, one out of every four or at least one out of every five. It's mm-hmm. hard to get an accurate statistic because a lot of women <laughs> will never, ever say that happened to them because there's still a stigma that, like, if I was attacked when I was 15, it's somehow my fault. Yes. It's not my fault. No, no, but it's so true. people are weird about things like that. So anyway, you don't want to tell. You don't want to talk about it. So let's get to this book. So this book was part of your pathway to getting whole. Now, it's interesting. You mentioned it's like 2019 was when you kind of had this literally come to Jesus moment that um, praying, it, praying it away wasn't going to happen. You need a little outside intervention besides the Holy Spirit. You know, God did put people on this planet that are trained mm-hmm. to help us through these things. Absolutely. And your children were at an age where you were probably freaking out because they're getting to the dating age. They're getting into the you can't keep them home all the time age. Right. So we don't have the whole, you know, five hours that we need to really unpack this. But right. Lee McKenzie, she seems so normal. She looks so normal. <laughs> um, tell us about your journey because somebody said, I think you really need some help. And then you went right. and got some help. How did this turn into the book that is rising very much on Amazon? And we'll tell you how to get it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, well, first off, I feel like my whole purpose for writing this book was me watching the Olympians give their testimony in, before Congress and going, holy cow, I could never do that. I could never do that. And worrying about having a PTSD event of my own as I'm watching them. And I'm like, they are so courageous. And I know that if we are going to be ashamed of our stories and if we're going to continue to make other people ashamed of their stories, we're going to not talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to keep it in silence. We're going to judge the heck out of them. And we are going to make them make everybody feel like we can't talk about this. But if you want to get rid of shame, you start talking about it and you start proclaiming it. I'm just trying to be the person that I needed back when I needed me now. Uh, when I was a child, when I was, uh, you know, a teenager, when I was at West Point, because there was an incident at, at school when I went there that nobody knew about, but I was terrified to speak. And so I just want to be the person that little me, middle me, teen me, and younger me needed now to advocate and say, we're, we're, we're going to kill this stigma because it's, we are long past due. We need to talk about this, and we need to stop blaming, shaming, and telling people, victims, whether they're male, whether they're female, whether it was authority, whether it was peer, whatever it is. If you are abused in any way, domestic abuse, we need to stop this. We need to stop making the assumption that you must have done something or that why didn't you, why didn't you. Do you think we didn't try to troubleshoot that? In the middle of the event, do you think we didn't try our best to get it finished as fast as possible just to get out alive? And so for me, I, that's part of the reason for writing this. I didn't see anything out there when I was going through it. I didn't see reconciliation biblically when I was going through it. I also felt like a lot of the books were way too detailed and massively triggering so that when I would read through stuff, I would be like, I can't read this. I can't read this. It's not really about what happened no, to you. No, no. Because everybody's story is going yeah. to be different. And frankly, it was really funny. And I've found, I've found myself saying this. Well, I was never raped. Um, well, it was just um, inappropriate touching by no. an adult when no. I was in eighth grade. No. You know, no. Mary, quit diminishing what happened to you. Thank it you. wasn't as, maybe it wasn't as traumatic as, it doesn't matter. but I'm not comparing, you know, I didn't get together all my eighth grade friends and go, now which hey, one of us yeah. has had the most traumatic experience right. with this, 
you know, trauma is trauma figure. is trauma is trauma. And I go back to this again and again. There is no comparative suffering in this one. Right. Because your trauma is trauma is trauma is trauma. Betrayal is betrayal. Um, uh, somebody abusing power is somebody abusing power. Innocence lost, whether it is at three, at five, in eighth grade, 18, 25, 35, 45, that is, that is innocence lost and it is wrong. Toxic environments where people are feeling like they don't have a voice when you've been silenced is wrong. These toxic environments in which we find ourselves continue and continue because predatory groomers normalize psychotic behavior. They say, it's okay. It's all right. Oh, you must have misunderstood. And so I know you asked me a different question, but I just feel like that this is something that I have to get off my chest here for listeners out there, for your listeners in this area, because I love this area. And I know that this happens over and over and over again, not just here, but everywhere. And it's wrong. And so... I want to kill the stigma of you should have known better. Well, what did you do? Bull. Uh-uh. No, we're done with that. Let's talk about this. Let's educate ourselves and let's get into a better understanding of how we take down these systems. Because truly, these are systems of normalized abuse. And that is wrong. And so how do we help watch for that? How do we help look for that? As I was going through this whole thing and I was writing through, like, I actually really got pretty pissed off at God in many, mm-hmm. many different spaces. Sure. And I thought, oh, Lord, Jesus, or is the lightning going to hit me? Yeah, am I going to be struck dead for this? Is this like heresy, what I'm asking? Like, why did you let this happen to me? And he could handle it. God, my God, I don't know what, you know, paltry God I was thinking I worshipped before now. Like you yelling at him was going to really... Oh, it hurts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It hurts. So that hurt my feelings so badly. I'm not going to be your God anymore. Yeah, I, you I, yelled I'm at so me. Sorry. That was horrible. And so I sat there and I'm like, whoa, he really actually can handle this. And I searched the scriptures and I see like there's a lot of railing in, in the scriptures all throughout the Old Testament, all, all everywhere in, in scripture about people being like agonizing toward God, like, Rah! and yet God goes, okay, I can handle this. My God is big enough. And not only that, he, set so many people into my path over the years I didn't see. I think I missed them. I sabotaged myself and I couldn't receive them because I didn't think I was worthy or I didn't think I was whatever. And God just all along, I feel the whole, the verse that I go, I go back to again and again is, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he has walked me through, Mary. He has walked me through so many valleys of the shadow of death. He actually even took me on a run one time here in Quincy where I ended up on Main Street between the Veterans Administration Cemetery and the other cemetery up on the hill. And I realized at that moment when I turned around that he had run with me through this mm-hmm. whole thing and he never has left me and he has never forsaken me. My God is that big. And when I was walking through the valley, he sat with me sometimes. Sometimes he just had his hand on my back. Sometimes he helped carry me. I was going to say my favorite is foot, footprints. Footprints. You know, why, yes. why when I needed you most were there only one set of footprints? And mm. God said, those were my footprints. I was carrying you. I was carrying your yeah. butt across that. You. <laughs> but what I've also found throughout this entire, through this entire process is that you know, we have mountaintop experiences, 
But God doesn't create huge harvests on the mountaintops. He creates them where? He creates them in the valley, right? And so as I sowed seeds and dropped them throughout my valleys, and my tears watered them, and God's time, he grew the harvest. And it's only now I'm looking back, what am I, 51 now? Now I'm looking back and going, oh, I got you. Here's the harvest. It won't be on the mountaintops. It's in the valleys where the seeds were sown. It's in the valleys and on the beautiful hilltops where he has his orchards, where he has the fruit trees and the bees and all the animals. You don't, you don't take herds up into the mountaintops on top of Everest. You have them in the valleys. And this is where the flourishing happens. This is where the water and the streams come through and the living water runs through us. And so for me, in this whole process, in this journey, um, you know, forgiveness is the key to the kingdom for me. That's what set me free. And that's forgiveness that's, of others. And myself. And yourself. Because, again, you, you get so, people want to put it on you. Mm. And so the first thing you have to do is reject that yes. and turn your head around, which is a, a whole 180 degree That's a turn. whole lot of professional help. And then you have to, you, sometimes you also have to forgive the people who were hurt enough to do that to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the book. That's I want okay. people to get this book. We've <laughs> only got about three minutes left. So folks, look at, you've got to, you know, we can't do here in 20 minutes a whole therapy session. The, she seems so normal. And that's, I think, if anybody meets Lee McKenzie and just casually at a cocktail party or whatever, we'd be like, or at church, we'd be like, well, she seems so normal. And I do want to say this, because um, I didn't realize we had these parallels until we talked about a month ago. You know, you're going through this or finish this work now that you're 51, but you've already had your kids, you already had your husband. I had to finish the work before I could even get any of that. Mm. You know, it's so funny. And I Congratulations hope, for I really, the work. I really hope yeah. Greg is in a way not listening because I haven't shared, I don't share a lot of this stuff. I, that, you know, I'm done with all that. Yes. I move forward. Yeah. I found the perfect man for yeah. me. He's not the perfect man, but he's the perfect, perfect man for me. And, you know, it took me all that time. And that's okay. That's okay. It is. My harvest was exceptionally slow, but that's okay. I want to see your harvest has been unbelievably good because look what you've done. Yeah. Look what you've done. So. But, you know, all the time that I was working, all the time that I was going to therapy, all the time I was working, I was working, I was working, it was steady. It was continual. I'd get frustrated. I'd fall back. I'd try to move forward. Something would block me. Mm-hmm. So, totally. people, if you are out there, let's get this book. So, give us the give us the thing because we want to put a little ka-ching in your pocket, too. Oh, you're so sweet because it was a self-published and it was really expensive. Um, you can find She Seems So Normal on Amazon. You can find it on Goodreads, uh, BookBub. You can find it on, Bar- uh, let me see, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads. Yeah, that's where you can Wherever find it. Wherever fine books are Wherever sold. Fine books are Amazon sold, is a great way to get it. Yes, and please. She Seems so normal, and her name is Lee L E I G H Lee McKenzie M A C K E N Z I E. Now it's one right now. It's been for the past three or four weeks one of the top new releases on Amazon for abuse self help, Christian self help, etc. So it should be for therapists. I think it should be for schools. I think it should be for survivors. I think there's. I think it should be for the church. I think. This is not just a book that's a memoir that's a sad, sad, wah, wah at the end. There's actually tons of solutions 
tons of coping mechanisms and tons of help for the people who support and love survivors and who are survivors themselves.